Well, as I mentioned last week, we're going to revisit the, the series Eats with Sinners, uh, and, and I'm just going to kind of give an intro and talk about the first ingredient this morning that we're going to need to have if we're going to, to uh, follow Jesus' example and, and eat with sinners. When, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, my friend Wayne, who was about 10 or 11, uh, Wayne and I were playing in the woods one time behind our house. The woods was like two fields behind our house before the woods started. Um, and we often played at the edge. We built a fort there in the edge of the woods. And, and uh, uh, one day, though, we decided to venture deeper into the woods. <clears throat> uh, this was a, a beautiful old hardwood forest that you don't see forests like this much anymore. You know, many forests today are just man-made pine forests <laughs> with this pine trees all in a row. You know, they're not very pretty and they're filled with all kinds of brush and vines and stuff and you can't really walk in them. Uh, but this one was not like that. This one was an old growth uh, woods, uh, beautiful oaks and maples and, and uh, elms. Uh, the forest floor was covered with leaves and you could walk through without obstructions. It was just a beautiful forest. So we were venturing into this woods uh, one day and, and as we walked through it, uh, got deeper and deeper into it, not really paying attention to where we were going, <clears throat> uh, what direction that we were headed. At some point, we decided to head back. Well, let's, let's head on back. And uh, I was the default leader in those days. Uh, I was Batman, Wayne was Robin. Uh, I was uh, the Lone Ranger, he was Tonto. Uh, I was Tarzan, he was Boy. I mean, it, it was, uh, <clears throat> I was the default leader. So, so it was like, it was up to me. To, to lead us out of the woods. And so I just started heading in the direction. Well, you know, it's, it's this way. Let's go this way. Uh, we, we walked that way for a while. And, and then after a while, we realized that the edge of the forest that we had entered in just wasn't appearing. Uh, we, we should have come to it by now. So I said, well, let's go this direction. So we headed in a different direction. And we walked uh, that way for a while, but we still <clears throat> did not see the edge of the woods that we had entered, or any other edge of the woods, of, of any other side. Um, so we tried a different direction, and still, we could not find our way out of this woods. At, at this point, I remember saying to Wayne, I think we're lost. I, I, I don't know the way out of here. And I remember I fell back into the leaves that day, and uh, and I looked up through the at the sky through the trees and I wonder what are we going to do we're lost how are we going to find our way out of here well we decided to keep trying and we we started heading in a different direction well let's try this direction and then as we were walking we came across this old truck path that was there in the woods probably an old road for uh, a liquor still or something I don't know I mean, there literally was a liquor still back in that woods that my dad remembered that the uh, revenues blew up back in the early 50s. And, and uh, you know, years later, we used to go back there and look at it. But uh, so, you know, it, maybe that's what it was, an old liquor store path. Um, it was almost gone. The path was almost gone, but you could still see the indentions in the ground where the old, some ancient truck used to go down to, to go get uh, the liquor, if that's what it was. Um, 
Well, maybe it was my training as a 12-year-old uh, Boy Scout, <laughs> or maybe it was the Holy Spirit, I don't know. But something told me, just follow this path. Just follow this path. It'll probably take you out. And so we did. We started following the old trunk path. And before we knew it, we saw the light of the edge of the forest and the way home. And boy, we breathed a sigh of relief, I remember. We were lost in the woods, and the ancient path <laughs> led us home. You know, there are all kinds of ways to, to be lost. We can be lost in the woods. We can be lost in a crowd. We can be lost on an island like Robinson Crusoe. We can be lost in our thoughts. Uh, we can lose our keys. We can lose our way. We can lose a child at the mall. <laughs> uh, being lost or losing something valuable is usually no fun. Often tragic. I, I know many of us, probably most of us parents have lost our kid just for a few min minutes at a store or at a mall. I know what I've told you the story about me losing Jason at the hockey game uh, before. Um, and, and sometimes you can be lost, and, and no one even knows you're lost. You know, as, as far as I know, no one knew where Wayne and I were that day. That was back in the day when kids just went and played, and parents didn't have any idea where they were, or at least mine didn't. Um, no one would have even known where to start looking for us if, if we didn't turn up. You know, as bad as being lost in the woods can be, how horrible would it be if we were lost and never found? What if we remained lost, not just in this life, but for eternity? In his book entitled Eats with Sinners, Christian writer and pastor Aaron Chambers said this about someone who is lost. He said, being lost is never fun. Being lost and realizing that no one is looking for you is even worse. You know, as we read the Bible, it becomes very clear that as human beings, spiritually, we all start off life lost. We all do. If you are, are, are not a Christian, or even for some, even if you are a Christian, it might not be ex exactly apparent why you're lost. How are we lost from God? Is it like Wayne and I, when we went in the woods innocently, and we just innocently wandered uh, into an unknown place and got mixed up on our directions? Is that, what, is that what happens when we're lost from God? How are we lost from God? Well, every human being becomes lost from God, unable to get to God, unable to be in his presence when we not so innocently, sin. Sin, the willful disobedience of God, separates us from God. And it makes getting back to God impossible by our own power. You know, when Wayne and I found ourselves lost in the woods, it seemed like, as a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old, uh, you know, as kids, that we were never going to be found. Oh, no, what are we going to do? No matter how hard we looked on our own that day, it seemed like an escape from the forest could not be found. Getting back home seemed, for a moment, impossible for us. You know, when we sin, we become separated from God. We become lost from him, 
unable to be, be with him. And in order for us to be found, we need some help. We need some help. For, for Wayne and I, the help came from an old path <laughs> that someone else had made years before us. When we followed the path, we found our way out. It's the same with God. We, we can work and we can search and we can wander all our life trying to find the way to God. We can try to be good. We can try to do good things for people. We can go to church. We can give to the poor. We can participate in religious rituals and ceremonies. But there is nothing, nothing that we can do to find our way to God by our own power. Nothing. It can't be done. No, in order for us to be found, we need some help. We need some help. We need a path created by God himself that can lead us to a solution to the reason that we're lost in the first place, a solution to our sin. We need someone who can do something about our sin, the very thing that causes us to be lost in the first place. Now, while we don't have the power to do anything about our sin, Jesus does have that power. Jesus ended the separation with God by taking the punishment for our sin on himself. Actually, for a brief moment, until he rose from the dead, Jesus himself was lost. <laughs> he was separated from God in our place for us. Sin makes us lost from God, but Jesus provides a way for us to be found. And here's the thing, every human being that we know, every human being that we encounter in our day is lost. Every one of them. Because every human being, according to Romans 3.23, has sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul writes, and the only way that any human being can be found is if they learn about and know the only path, the one person that can rescue them, rescue us from our sin. And it's Jesus. Without Jesus, people that we know, that we love, that we work with every day, that we encounter in our day, will experience the worst case scenario of lostness. They will be lost from God for eternity. How should we feel about that, you and me? What should our reaction be to the fact that people that we encounter in our life every day are lost? How should we react to that? Well, to answer that, let's look at how Jesus reacted to people who were lost. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 2, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, the Pharisees were the religious elite of Jesus' day uh, here when he was here on earth. Um, and they divided people basically into two groups. Uh, there were people who were like them people who followed the biblical law the way they thought it should be followed. Uh, and there were people, everybody else, <laughs> there was everybody else, that they called sinners. Everybody else was a sinner. 
they didn't put themselves in that category. Sinners, in their mind, were the riffraff of society. Sinners were the morally filthy. They were those who did not follow the law the way they thought it should be followed. They were those who were not like them. And as Aaron Chambers put it, sinners was a term the Pharisees used to label people that they did not want to have to love. They did not want to have to feel guilty for not loving them. Ah, they're just sinners. We don't have to worry about them. But Jesus, the creator of love, saw things very differently. Jesus saw sinners not as people to avoid, but people to intentionally reach out to. Specifically because they were sinners. They were sinners who were lost. And he did this because he loved them. They were precious souls who he cared about so much that later he was willing to die for them. And one of the most common ways that he wouldn't intentionally reach out to them was to share a meal with them. Now, this is what the Pharisees were complaining about that day when they said, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, it's here that Jesus tells his three parables uh, about the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, the prodigal son. Uh, he's in those story, he, stories, he emphasized how much God cares about those who are lost. And, and at the same time, he's exposing the fact that these so-called religious leaders don't care about them at all. But they should. They, the religious leaders, avoided the lost. They condemned the lost. Jesus intentionally went to them and ate with them because he loved them. They were lost. They needed to be found. You know, all of us are sinners. Again, Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us find ourselves lost when we begin life, separated from God because of our sin. Now, most of us here, most of us here have been found. At some point in our life, we have accepted Jesus, and we're no longer lost. We found the path. We found the old ancient path, the one who died for our sins, Jesus. Some of you may not be found, and you're still lost because you haven't found the path yet. We all know someone in our life who is still lost. Maybe it's a friend that we hang around with. Maybe it's a co-worker that we work beside every single day. Uh, maybe it's a family member even. We all know somebody who's lost, and if they're not found, they will be lost for eternity. How can we help them be found? How did Jesus do it? Well, one way he did it was by eating with them, or by ha having an in, an, an, a, a way to intentionally seek them out, and develop a relationship with them. Jesus didn't beat them over the head with a big King James Version scroll. <laughs> uh, he didn't point his finger at them and tell them how evil they were and, and, and try to shame them into finding God. No, Jesus started by just loving them and intentionally seeking a way to be with them. 
like eating with them. The point of our teaching during this series is to help us see what Jesus saw. People in our lives are lost and they need Jesus to be found. He loved and he cared about them. And so should we who are his followers. Sometimes we have a tendency to look down on the lost. Sometimes we avoid them. We only associate with people who are like us. You know, church people. Church people. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for doing just that. For only associating with church people. And and I promise you, Jesus rebukes us if we do the same thing. When we avoid people who are lost, when we fail to intentionally look for opportunities to develop a relationship with them, Jesus condemns that too. If we're honest, those of us who have been Christians for a, a long time, hey, don't we get comfortable not eating with sinners? Only eating with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, Jesus wants us to not be satisfied with that. He wants our hearts to break for the lost. He wants us to not be comfortable just eating with each other. And so this is our goal for this series, to develop within us a desire to eat with sinners, to intentionally seek to develop relationships with people who are lost. Aaron Chambers defines an intentional relationship this way. An intentional relationship for a Christian is one in which one person intends to one day have the chance to introduce the other person to Jesus and then one day does it. (laughs) They don't just have the intention to do it. They actually do it. Jesus modeled this often by eating with lost people. And we can use that and many other things many other intentional relationships things to maybe it's working out with somebody maybe it's going for walks with somebody maybe it's meeting for coffee with someone all kinds of ways to seek to develop intentional relationships with people how do we do that how do we do that for the next few weeks we're going to explore several key ingredients you know when you cook something you have all your ingredients right well, when we're, when we're cooking up how to eat with sinners, there's ingredients that we have to put in that make it work and make it taste good uh, and desirable. So we're going to look at several key ingredients that can help us effectively reach out to people in our lives and hopefully get a chance through that relationship to introduce them to Jesus. And the first key ingredient is integrity. Integrity. Now, what is integrity? Integrity defined is... The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, it's moral uprightness, moral uprightness, even when you're by yourself and no one's looking. Jesus said that the reason he came to earth as as a man was to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19, verse 10. His last words to his disciples before he went back to be with his father was to go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, verse 
19. So it's pretty clear what Jesus wants from us or what he wants uh, for everyone else. Jesus wants us all, all mankind, to be with him for eternity. He died for our sins, so that could happen. He became the path. And then he turned the mission of doing that over to us, you and me. He went back to be with his father. He said, okay, now I'm passing the ball to you, my followers. We are now to seek out the lost, to help them find Jesus, to become followers of Jesus. We are called to do what Jesus did when he was here on earth, seek and save the lost. That's the plan. That's the mission. Well, how did Jesus do it? He loved them. He showed mercy on them. He didn't judge and condemn them and avoid them. No, he ate with them. He ate with them. And it was clear to many that he encountered that Jesus was the real deal. He was not a hypocrite. He was not a fake. He was the real thing. He was genuine. His love was genuine. He called people, you and me, to do the same thing, to love, to forgive, to accept each other, to show kindness, to be gentle with each other. And, and, and because of his demonstration and his genuineness, the people accepted his teaching. And they accepted him because Jesus practiced what he preached. He was a man of integrity. And one of the first things that Jesus did after he was baptized uh, and was ready to begin his ministry was to allow himself to be tempted by Satan. Jesus didn't have to be tempted by Satan. Jesus could have just, uh, on day one, hit the road. All right, let's start this thing. Let's get this thing on the road. Let's start teaching. But before he preached the first sermon, before Jesus performed the first miracle, before he chose the first disciple, Jesus allowed himself to be led away into the desert and be subjected to temptations that would literally make or break his entire mission on earth. Luke 4, we read the account of Jesus going to the desert and beginning a 40-day fast. Can you imagine not eating for 40 days? And during that 40 days of fasting, Jesus allowed Satan to come and tempt him. Jesus, who was a human being just like you and me, with all the, the human feelings and desires and needs that you and I would have, um, uh, going without food for 40 days, physically weak, hungry, weary because of his ordeal, Jesus then faces Satan who has not been fasting for 40 days, who was not physically weak, and Satan throws a series of very appealing temptations at Jesus. And these three temptations are recorded in the book of Luke there in chapter 4. How will Jesus react to these temptations? Does it matter how he reacts to these temptations? Well, the first temptation involved a personal physical need that anybody would have, especially Jesus at this time, food, food. We all love that, don't we? Especially when our, our, our stomach starts growling. Luke chapter 4, verse 3, 
The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You know, at any time there in the desert, Jesus could have just ended this suffering that he was going through. Uh, this self-imposed uh, fast that he was on just by snapping his fingers and there's a loaf of bread. You know, he could have snapped his fingers and had barbecue or ribs or or, you know, whatever his favorite food was, he could have snapped his fingers, boom, there it was. He could have just chowed down any time. Here's what Satan was trying to do to Jesus with this temptation. Hey, great job, Jesus. Man, you're doing so good fasting and all of that, thinking and praying to your father and, and, and thinking about your ministry and your, your quest to save mankind. Oh, that's so wonderful, Jesus. Why don't you just stop thinking about yourself just for a moment? And just, just think about yourself. And just make, make some food. Take this stone and turn it into bread. Come on, what harm would it do to get some food and eat? What's the harm? Come on. Satan's trying to get Jesus to be selfish. To stop thinking about mankind and just think about himself for a minute. Why not? And what was Jesus' response to Satan's suggestion? Well, it was his response to every temptation that, that Satan gave. He quotes scripture. And he quotes in Luke 4, verse 4, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He said, Jesus answered, it says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. That was his answer to Satan. You know, there's a time to eat and there's a time to pray. And this is not a time to eat. This is a time to pray. Right now, Satan, I need to pray. That's what's most important. I need to focus on the more important things. You know, Jesus many times will encourage us, and we're always called to not be selfish. That's one of the biggest challenges for all of us, for every human being. To put other people first. To put God first in our life. That's our call as Christians. And here Jesus demonstrates his integrity of doing just that. Resisting the temptation to be selfish. Luke chapter 4 verse 5 and 7 is the second temptation Satan throws at him. The devil led him up to, the high, to a high place and showed him an in, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him... I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anybody I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Mm, that seems tempting, doesn't it? Here Satan tries to give Jesus a shortcut <laughs> to all that Jesus hoped for. Satan promises Jesus the world. You can have the world. I got it right now, but I'll give it to you. All you got to do is just bow down and worship me. I'll give you the, the hearts of mankind. I'll give you, I'll, I'll leave them alone. I'll stop messing with them and tempting them. Jesus, sell your soul to me, and there will be no need for all this stuff you're doing, this ministry and preaching and miracles and crucifixion. You won't even need to worry about that. I'll just leave the world alone and give it all to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. Have you ever been tempted to take a shortcut? 
that, that was risky, that you, you knew down, deep inside you shouldn't do, you know, because you're tired maybe, you want to be done with it, so I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to worry about the safety glasses. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to worry about the turning the breaker off. I'll just change that switch without, without turning the breaker. I can do that. Mm, my, my tank's on E. I know I should get some gas, but I'm, I'll do that a little later maybe. <laughs> I don't have time to stop and get gas right now. And, and then your shortcut ends with metal shavings in your eye, a trip to the emergency room, uh, getting knocked off your feet because you got, you got electrocuted, uh, stranded on the side of the road because you just didn't stop and get gas. You know, there's no shortcut to an eternity with God. None. Jesus knew what he had to do to save mankind, and there was only one way to do it. It, it, it wasn't going to be easy. It was going to be very difficult. It was going to be painful, horribly painful, but it had to be done. There was only one way to do it. No shortcuts. And so Jesus once again quotes scripture. Luke chapter 4, verse 8, which is Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, period. There's only one way to be saved, only one way, and that is if a sinless Jesus dies for our sin. If Jesus bowed down and worshiped Satan, he would no longer be sinless, and then he could die all he wanted to, but it, wouldn't, it would be worthless. Only if he's sinless and dies can he be our Savior. Jesus knew what he had to do. There was no shortcut. And so his integrity here was intact. He did not follow, uh, allow himself to be compromised for a shortcut. So when he calls us to never be compromised in our walk with him, he can honestly say, be like me, be like me, serve only me, I am the only way to be found. Luke chapter 4 verse 9 through 11 is the third temptation. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus, why bother with all this preaching and teaching and all this stuff that you're, going, that you're, you're doing? Why not instantly convince the world who you are? And here's how you could do it. Why not, why not go up to this high point, get everybody's attention, hey, everybody look at me, everybody look at me, and throw yourself down off this high point in the temple. And then while everybody's gasping and screaming and, and anticipating your body being splattered all over the ground and dying, you call the angels, and right at the last minute, they rescue you and lift you up just in the nick of time. And then everybody will just instantly believe who you are. You're the Son of God. And then your work will be done. I mean, who could not believe who you are then after that? spectacular event and satan even quotes scripture himself here psalm chapter 91 verse 11 and 12 he takes it out of context to try to prove a false point which is something we need to guard against 
Well, even as Jesus did that, <clears throat> the only people who would believe instantly would be the ones that happened to be that day and happened to look up when he, when he leaped off and see the whole thing. It wouldn't have helped the millions of other people that lived during that time who weren't there. It wouldn't have helped the billions and billions that would live later because they didn't see it. No, there's only one way for us to come to him. Not because we saw it with our eyes. Because none of us have seen Jesus with our eyes. There's only one way to come to Jesus. It's by faith. By faith. God doesn't want to convince us by some circus trick. He wants our hearts to be drawn to him by his love. So Jesus puts an end to Satan's shenanigans by once again quoting scripture. Luke 4 verse 12, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6 verse 16. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Take a hike, Satan. <laughs> Get out of here. I'm not buying your ridiculous dribble. Be gone. Be gone. And he was gone. Through this intense ordeal with Satan, Jesus demonstrates that he is the real deal. He is a man of integrity. Now he's ready to meet the people and start his ministry. So what does Jesus' experience have to do with eating with sinners for you and me? Everything. Everything. Before we can ever hope to introduce someone to Jesus and expect them to accept him as their savior, we must be the real deal. How can we expect someone to listen to us talk about following Jesus if we're not following him ourselves? <clears throat> How can we ever hope to convince someone to love God with all their heart and their soul and their mind and their strength and to love their neighbor as themselves if we don't do that? So before we make plans to eat with a sinner... <laughs> To start an intentional relationship with someone with the plan to introduce them to Jesus in that relationship, the first thing we need to do is recognize that I'm a sinner too. I was lost. And if it wasn't for Jesus, if I hadn't found the path of Jesus himself, I would not be saved. I'm a sinner too. And then we need to take an honest look at our lives and, and see where where is integrity lacking in my life? Satan's tempting me just like he's temp tempted Jesus. He's tempting you just like he tempted Jesus. Are we being selfish? Am I being selfish? Are you being selfish? Putting yourself first before you put others, before you put God first? Uh, am I being faithful are you being faithful to him and serving him in every part of your life? Are we, are, or am I indulging in sinful behavior that would compromise my encounter with someone who I'm trying to introduce to God? Are, are we the real deal? Are, we're not perfect, but are we real? Are we real? None of us will ever be perfect. But we can all be seeking to be genuine followers of Jesus by every day making a commitment 
to be a better follower today. And when we are real, people that we eat with will all see it, and our integrity will be the first step to them one day being found. Father, I thank you so much for the integrity of Jesus. Uh, he, was, he was perfect, Lord, and we can never be that. But he, he intentionally went through these temptations to show us how to do it, <laughs> what, what can be done. And we are not perfect, but, Lord, we have the Holy Spirit in us, and the Holy Spirit can help us be men and women of integrity, to be genuine, to be real. So help us all today to take a look at where our integrity is lacking, where, where are we um, falling short and, and being a bad example and, and not following you like we should, and help us to work on every day making that better. Father, uh, as we began to think about people in our lives that we can seek out to make in, intentional relationships with, help us to, to include these ingredients in our life. It'll make us better Christians. It'll make us better witnesses as we seek to reach out to others. Thank you, Father, for this chance to, to see how Jesus did it so that we can try to be like him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you are here today and you are not a Christian. You, you, didn't ha you haven't found the path yet and followed it out. Well, here today, you can have an opportunity to follow it out. Uh, Jesus is the path. And uh, do you believe that he is the, the son of God, that he came and gave his life for you to be punished for your sin? If you believe that with all of your heart, uh, it's very simple. All you have to do is decide to repent, to turn, to turn, uh, from the way you're living now and start living God's way like a person of integrity. Uh, just start being like Jesus the best you can. Repent and be baptized. Uh, that's what Peter told those very first Christians to do. Repent and be baptized. And when you're buried with Christ, and we have a baptistry right back here, um, and when you come up out of that watery grave, uh, Peter told the crowd that day, and he tells you and me, uh, we receive the forgiveness of our sins which means we're no longer lost. And we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which helps us be men and women of integrity. If you need to make that decision today, I invite you to come forward as we sing our closing song.